There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. One of them is St. Gabriel's Class of 1990. The other is St. Gabriel's Class of 1988. One is the television play-by-play voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. The other hosts a morning show on an AM radio station. They both bring broadcasting excellence to St. Louis. Welcome to the Hot Stove Show with Tim McKernan and Dan McLaughlin on ScoopsWithDannyMac.com and InsideSTL.com. Thank you, Andy, for the intro. I feel like the theme has already been set here is that I'm going to be the whipping boy. You know, Dan has a legitimate career, and I do whatever it is that I do. But uh, we are thrilled, as two St. Gabriel hoodlums, to be together and uh, in working on this, uh, this event, which is the Bud Select Q&A tonight with our guest who will join us soon, John Mazalak. God, we hope he shows up. Um, <laughs> If not, we're filling for the next uh, 90 minutes right, and probably right. uh, refunding your money. And uh, <laughs> South St. Louis is being repped tonight. That's exciting. Uh, it is the Hot Stove Show, and we are excited to do this. We're going to be doing a number of these uh, throughout the season. And, um, you know, we can ask uh, John Mosaloc, I guess, you know, whether or not it was the right move to release uh, Greg Garcia. And um, <laughs> that's about a half hour of the show. And, um, I'm sure we'll probably dive into that, uh, and maybe Bryce Harper. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably get into that. But it, it is an interesting uh, a time of year because, you know, the, the GM meetings are, are really the groundwork for what happens um, for really the, the winter meetings in baseball. And then you get into just before spring training, and then all of a sudden spring training hits, and some of the players are, at least last year, uh, unsigned, and then they went into – uh, the regular season unsigned. So it's kind of a fascinating year, and I don't know about you guys. Uh, I, I find this year um, to be really a, a fascinating year in particular for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, they have so many arms, and they are the envy of baseball in many ways because their pitching is so good, and every team needs pitching. And if you've watched the postseason uh, the last couple of years, uh, every team, it seems like it, it's like the last man standing. I mean, Chris Sale is, is finishing out a World Series. Um, two years ago, it was like, well, who's left in the bullpen to finish out the World Series? So you can never have enough pitching. The Cardinals have a surplus of that, and I find that absolutely fascinating. Now, if you're here and you're wondering about John Mosaloc, John is at a meeting right now. Uh, he promises to race here. We're going to have probably 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, we are live, by the way, on Twitter and Facebook and with you guys, so we're going to interact with the audience uh, on the the interwebs, and also with you guys. We've got questions, too, and when John gets here, uh, we'll do that. And John is amazing in these types of settings. He's very open and honest, and 
uh, we look forward to when he uh, shows up and we have a chance to visit with, with Mo. Yeah, and we uh, encourage everybody, for real, to, uh, to ask questions. The, the little microphone stand over there at the front of the room, the front, your front left, uh, is where we will uh, take your questions. So please feel comfortable asking questions whenever, uh, whether they be for John Mazalock, for myself, for Dan. Uh, that's what this is about. You know, it's the first time Dan and I are doing our Q&A here at the Improv Shop, but it's also our first hot stove show. It's something that Dan and I uh, kind of are building on from last year's Live from Spring Training. And because of how much interest there is in this year's off season, we decided to do this uh, starting in November. Because this, I think, is one of the most critical off seasons for the Cardinals that I can recall. I mean, you've been calling games now going back to what year? Uh, I, I began, well, this would be my 22nd year affiliated with the Cardinals coming up. 22 years. Thank you. That's a hell of a run for a 44-year-old gentleman. Yeah. So essentially about half my life I've spent in a booth next to Al Roboski, and I've lived to talk about it. Um, <laughs> and Al is awesome. I always just kid Al. And if Al was here, I, I'd say that too, and he'd have a frown on his face. I don't know if I've ever seen him smile anyway, but um, he's awesome. I, I work with five really talented guys and, and fun people to be around both uh, on the mic and, and away from the booth. And um, just incredible. I, I've been so lucky. And, and, you know, to give you a little background on, on my life growing up here in St. Louis, uh, this place is really important to me. Um, and the Cardinals are my favorite team. I, I was a fan of the team growing up. I loved Ozzie Smith. He was my favorite player. And I, I did an event with Ozzie a couple of years ago. I started the speaker series with the Cardinals. And I said to Ozzie, it's few and far between when you get the chance to meet your idol and the idol actually lives up to the billing. And that was Ozzie Smith for me. Um, and so 22 years coming up for me uh, being affiliated with the Cardinals and having some form or fashion doing play-by-play or uh, pregame shows or sidelines. And uh, it's a dream come true. My brother actually is in the audience here, and he'll tell you when we were three and four and five years old in the backyard of South St. Louis, I was there announcing the games. <laughs> and this is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a pro baseball player. I wanted to be the announcer of the Cardinals. I wanted to be the next Jack Buck. And by no means am I saying I, I'm that. I just wanted to emulate what he was doing. So it's a, uh, a dream come true. I was at the right place, right time. The explosion of cable television. Uh, television. Thank God that came around when I was uh, 22, 23. Because if not, I wouldn't be in this position. Your relationship with Jack Buck is something that I don't know how many people are well aware of. And we've kind of talked about it. Dan and I have as we've been working on launching this project. Um, but he kind of took you in. He was great starting out. Yeah, he was, he was unbelievable to me. I, I was on the air um, at KMOX when I, was, when I was 20. And so Jack, of course, was the sports director at, at KMOX. And... When you're around Jack Buck, you're around greatness. And so I was the guy answering the phone that was, you know, Mr. Tinker and Mr. Flower. And, you know, hello, how are you? And um, this is KMOX. And where are you calling from? This is June from St. Charles. And my uh, my uh, roses are going under. And I need to talk to Mike Miller. And uh, will you please uh, make sure I get to Mike Miller? Yes, okay, great. And then Jack's coming in at 6 o'clock. Hello, Dan. Mr. Buck. Wow, that's Mr. Buck. And that's my first introduction to Jack Buck. And so he treated me when I was answering the phone for Mr. Garden or Mr. Tinker the same as when I was sitting next to him 
calling an Albert Pujols home run. Um, and I'll never forget that. He treated me the same whether I was the guy uh, answering the phone calls when he was calling uh, to come in and do sports open line or to line up a guest for him or the guy sitting next to him to do play-by-play. It was just amazing. And the stories that so many people have heard about him throughout St. Louis are true. Uh, what you heard about him in philanthropy and generosity is true. It was times 10. Um, a quick story would be that when we were at KMOX, uh, the sports open line, the sports show would, would start normally about 610, I guess, 615, something like that. And normally the, the cleaning crew would come in at that time. And so most of the station would clear out at that point, but the cleaning crew, if they knew that Jack was going to be in, they would kind of hold off on doing their duties and wait till Jack would roll in. And Jack would roll in, and all of a sudden, hundreds would roll out of his pocket. I mean, it was 100 for this guy, 100 for that person, 100 for this person, and it was just amazing. I mean, the guy was just amazing in terms of uh, how generous he was and how good he was to people. And what you saw was truly what you got. And um, it was amazing. I was very, very uh, fortunate. Yeah, he was such a good man, as so many people in the audience are are well aware of. And And then you had the chance to be around Larry Nickel and some of the other greats. I mean, Larry Nickel, Mike Lee... Uh, timber fake. I mean, I know. I know that fight was so important to you. I actually, you, want, you wanted to call it. I called up Tim, and, and Tim had, and, and we had not visited. Uh, and some people in the audience are just here for baseball. They're like, what in the hell <laughs> are they no talking idea. about? Um, I, Tim and we had not, you know, connected for probably at least a year and a half. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Hello, this is Tim. Tim, it's Dan McLaughlin. I heard you have a fight going on. I will call it. I want. <laughs> I don't want any money for it. Please. I will be ringside. Make it happen. Just let it. Let's make it happen. I will be there. I wanted that fight. Yeah. I, mean, I wanted it. It's one thing to call the Cardinals. It's another thing to call a fight at a strip bar at one in the morning. And by the way, uh, two things happened out of that. Jim Hayes did call me later that day and said, Dan, I heard you called Tim. You might want to think about taking that offer back. Secondly. Uh, later that night, I was on InsideSTL.com watching the fight <laughs> at about 1.30 in the morning, and my wife said, what in the hell are you doing? I said, stop. Go back to bed. I'm watching a very yeah, important very fight important. right now. Yes. This is out of Las Vegas. Yeah. Or Sage. <laughs> Either way. Uh, we want to make sure that we uh, also point out that in addition to Bud Select being so kind to sponsor tonight's Q&A, that uh, portions of the proceeds are going to Three Little Birds for Life. Um, that's a charity that uh, we've been working with now for almost six years. They're like a Make-A-Wish Foundation for uh, young adults with cancer. So often you hear about pediatric cancer, and you also hear, of course, about people who are a little older. But uh, in 20s and 30s and 40s, sometimes you can feel invincible. And uh, I had a, luckily, a, uh, what was a scare six years ago, and that's how I got involved with Three Little Birds for Life. And so we're very grateful for their involvement tonight. And if you can uh, make any donations that you would be uh, happy enough to do here for Three Little Birds for Life, because they also are our partner for tonight's event where we're going to get to hear from John Mazalock directly. So I want to make sure we thank them for their involvement. So please give a round of applause for Three Little Birds for Life who are involved tonight. Um, and, and throughout the course of the evening, I, I, you know, I, I know it's you know, maybe a little uncomfortable to walk up to the microphone and ask questions, but we really do want one of the things that we thought was so cool about this event 
is so often we hear about how the media is soft and, and, you know, nobody asks the questions I want to have asked. Well, this is your opportunity to ask. The thing that we do want to request, though, if you are kind of in a, in a banty mood, that you would ask the question in a polite manner. Just on the off chance, this is going to turn into, like, sports talk radio to the nth power. Um, but there is a lot that I'm legi- – like, I would be happy to just be in the audience and, and, and hear what John Mazalock has to say because I'm, I'm curious as well what the Cardinals' plans are this off season. And Dan and I talked about it on his podcast, Scoops with Danny Mack, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, about the intrigue sur- surrounding this off season. And it was interesting. I felt like going into 2018, a lot of people were going, Machado makes sense. And now as we go into the offseason of 2018-19, I feel like more Cardinal fans are interested in the possibility of Bryce Harper, whereas Manny Machado has kind of fallen off the radar locally. You have always been of the opinion you're not particularly high on the idea of Machado and the Cardinals. Well, if he wanted to sign here, I'd say great. I don't have to sign the checks either, so that that's okay. I mean, he, he's a world of talent, um, but I think – what I don't like seeing is is the lack of hustle, I think, that a lot of people saw in postseason play. I mean, he, he's an incredibly talented player. I mean, obviously, everybody saw that. We were in Baltimore a couple of years ago, and I don't have the chance except on highlights and whatnot to see uh, some of the things that – um, that maybe you're privy to, to seeing if you watch an everyday uh, player in, in, in seeing, you know, one through nine. So I just see the highlights. But we were there, and he, he wasn't hustling against the Cardinals. And I saw that, and I was asking their broadcasters about that, and they said, well, that's, that's the way he plays. I mean, that's – but you're going to get 30 home runs, and you're going to get 110 RBI, and, and you're going to see a guy that will have great range and, and moments of incredible um, – uh, greatness, but um, but that's what you get. Yeah. You know, that's what you get with Machado. Now, Harper is a guy of such great intrigue. I think for so many people, and and let's face it, he fits the bill for what the Cardinals are looking for. Um, the Cardinals, in my opinion, need a left-handed bat some way, somehow. Um, right field is maybe a little bit of a question mark. Now, you do have three years left on the contract of Dexter Fowler. Um, I think he's the kind of guy that would this fan base would gravitate towards. I think if you ever hear the term Jim Rat, I think he's a baseball rat. I think he's intriguing because when if you if you've been following baseball like I have or you have or some of you have, um, you follow and read and hear about young guys. Uh, when they're coming up, or in this case, I've been reading about Bryce Harper since he's 14 years old. Yeah. Um, there's intrigue with that. There's kind of mystery with that. I, I think that's kind of fun. I, I like that kind of stuff. So 26 years old, he's looking for at least a 10-year contract, if you believe what you read. Uh, Derek Gold has done a remarkable job reporting on this, and, and maybe it's 10 years and more. So now you're talking about 36, 37, 38. I think most teams would say, I feel comfortable paying him a lot of money, up until year seven, eight, nine, and ten, and I'm sure Mo can uh, expound on this. But eight, nine, and ten on that contract, when you're talking about guys that in this day and age aren't using PEDs, and and there's been no link to that with him, and um, that that gets uncomfortable. You know, you're talking about a lot of money, and in, and and now more than ever, you're talking about players that when, especially I think in the last two or three or four years. Um, when when guys are hitting 30, 31, 32, that's not to say that you're old, but it's not the young player anymore, especially with PEDs out of the game. So if you get to the back end of that contract and he's still one of the highest-paid players on your team, that can be very, very uncomfortable. 
when I say that, too, you look at the Boston Red Sox, they were over the tax threshold, and major market teams can afford to, I don't want to say overpay for players, but they can afford to make mistakes, I guess is the right word to put it, uh, the, to, the way to, 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 I guess, look at their situation because they were still paying for the Panda. They were still paying for uh, Handler Ramirez. They were still paying for a player that they gave a lot of money to that never even made it to the big leagues. And they were over the tax threshold, yeah. which is, when you do that, you go dollar for dollar. So it was something like 30 to $40 million over that. Um, and they can afford to do that, where other teams don't want to do that, don't feel comfortable doing that. So all those things factor into it. I think you got to be careful with it. Um, but, man, would he be fun to have here in St. Louis. I'd be, I, I think people would love it. I'd be By curious. the way, I just got a text, a live update on Facebook, what, Twitter, and on? our audience. John Mozalock on his way. Wow, there it is. Okay. It is so official. He's, he's coming. So I, I, I like to do uh, 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 Facebook polls and Twitter polls just to get a gauge. So we have, I don't know, 100-some-odd people here tonight. So cheer if you would like the Cardinals to sign Bryce Harper. Let's just come up with an arbitrary deal of 10 years, $350 million, and then we'll get cheers if you don't want that. So would you like to see the Cardinals sign Bryce Harper, 10 years, $350 million? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Who, does, who, who would not like that? Okay. Wow. <laughs> I, I'd like to unanimous. follow that. I'd like to follow that All up. All right. Who would like to sign those contracts with your signature on it, and you have to pay it. Okay. All right. Okay. So it's, wow. a, t- it's a tough thing to do. I'm legitimately surprised by that. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm not. I, I think fans I want to I, I would think it's like 75%. I'm surprised that it's it unanimous. not surprise me at all. Wow. That's something else. What about Manny Machado? Let's say that just for the, the sake of the argument. Ten years, $350 million on Manny Machado. Yes. Applaud. Tepid. Manny Machado, No. Wow. All right. So you want Harper. So you want Harper. How would Josh Donaldson? Do you not, if you don't want Josh Donaldson, let me hear. Now I got a boo. What was that Pete behind the, behind the signs, I think? Mike Moustakis? Yeah. So look at it in, in these terms, too. If they don't go out and get Harper, Remember this, and I, I think, you know, we'll see how much Mo wants to go into this, but the Cardinals right now roughly have, if you look at it, and I'm not going to go through every single name, but they have 10 to 12 guys that are legitimate major league pitchers coming back next year. Of those 10 to 12, I would say 10, you could fit into a major league rotation. They can be as creative as they want to be in this offseason, um, and that's something to keep in mind. So they can get awfully creative uh, with what they want to do potentially coming up in this offseason, which could make this a lot of fun going into the winter meetings. And, and that's something to keep in mind. Um, I, I am so excited, and I hope our fans, and I hope you all get the chance to watch Alex Reyes next year. I have compared him to the pitching version of a young Albert Pujols. That's how good this young man is. And unfortunately, we haven't seen it. We've seen little bitty glimpses of it. I saw Alex Reyes, um, and part of my job and and duties with the St. Louis Cardinals is I do um, some of the production work for commercials and whatnot when I get down to spring training. And this is before the minor leaguers show up. So it's in the back end of the facility, and that's the only space that we have to do some of the what they call green screens and recordings and the various things there. At that point, five years ago, I guess it was roughly, 
I met a young Alex Reyes, and I said, how you doing, Alex? I had no idea who this guy was. And he was glib, um, very, very bright, uh, and, and I struck up a conversation, and every year I've talked to him and visited with him, and as his, his body matured, um, and I had no idea who this guy was. I later found out this is one of our top pitching prospects. And as he was going on, he was part of the Cardinals, uh, what they call essentially, for lack of a better term, they're young guns and young, better prospects. They come through early and have a chance to work out with the big league coaches and the, and the camp and get a glimpse of what it's like. So I had a chance to be around him. And, I, and I've, I've talked to him through the various rehabs he's gone through. It's been very very difficult on him. And to his credit, he has kept his spirits up. I am hoping for him as a human being, and I'm hoping as a fan base, you get the chance to see this guy for a full year and beyond. He is special. I mean, really special. So if you get him and you get some of the other guys that are getting better and better, Dakota Hudson, Jack Flaherty, and some of the others that the Cardinals have at their disposal – I think as a fan base, maybe, generally speaking, we are overlooking that. And, and, and we'll see what they do in the offseason. But that's something to keep in mind going forward. Yes, there needs to be adjustment with the roster. It wasn't good enough. 88 wins isn't good enough. you got to get better. But it's something not to be overlooked. They can get creative, and they're young, and they're very, very good. And everybody is looking for pitching. Yeah, I feel like if they don't get that big free agent find, that inevitably they're going to trade from that surplus to get a bat. That's what I feel like the play is. If the free agent's even in play, if that big, if, the, if Harper is even something that they're going to aggressively well, pursue. I also think that you know the fans are clamoring for something, right? I mean, fans want to see something. And when you don't, Make the playoffs three years in a row. Um, let's face it, since Tony La Russa and that ownership group got here in 96, there has been a lot of winning here in St. Louis. And the expectations are here in town that not only do um, you have good baseball, clean baseball, fun baseball, but the expectations are, you know, this isn't a different, uh, I'm not going to name another city, but th- the expectations are to win. And the expectations are to get in the playoffs. And believe me, they do feel that down at Bush Stadium in, in those offices, whether or not, you know, you may be listening to talk radio and, and, and some of those people may be saying, oh, they're not trying, they're just trying to, you know, pocket money and they don't care and all they want is 3.4 million fans. I'm telling you, they, they feel the pressure to win. They're trying, um, but sometimes it comes up short, but they feel the pressure going into this offseason to do what they can to, to put a competitive team out there to to obviously get above 88 wins and get in postseason play. Well, uh, you're going to get to hear directly from the Cardinal President of Baseball Operations, which is great news. Also, great news, sitting in front of you on your tables, courtesy of the great people at Bud Select, are free beers in your buckets. Free beers in your buckets from the good people at Bud Select who are uh, making this possible. And then also, uh, hopefully you all got a chance to enjoy uh, the uh, chicken wings, toasted raviolis, salads, and uh, pizza from Nana Mama's Pizza. They're online at nanamamas.com. They were the sponsor of our food this evening that was included in the ticket, so hopefully everybody got to enjoy that as well. Dan and I are going to be doing this uh, on a weekly basis. We're going to do our very first show from the studio, which is my basement. Uh, <laughs> on Wednesday, don't tell them that we have a beautiful looks, looking yeah, set. It looks good, it, it man. Lo- it does look know, good, but you're in. It's like Wayne's World. Um, 
And, uh, and it's going to be on Wednesday. Uh, and Mattress Direct, as Are you, you guys enjoying see. this, by the way? Good. Dan's okay. always right. very conscious with stories. He tells these great stories when we're at lunch, and then he feels obligated to say, am I boring you? And everybody's just like on the edge of their anybody, seat. You know? yeah. I don't mean, <laughs> Okay. But, but uh, Mattress Direct is uh, our presenting sponsor, Design Air, Seth Goldcamp, uh, who I believe designed the Fade G Unit t-shirt, which is getting popular for the podcast uh and then also try at bank are our sponsors for the hot stove show so that's going to be once a week throughout the course of the uh, off season and then when dan and i get down to spring training starting in february and march we'll be doing two a week uh and it'll all be on facebook live and on twitter periscope and you can listen on dan's podcast scoops with danny mack and the tim mckernan show uh, so you'll be able to listen to this as well tomorrow and all of our podcasts throughout the course of the baseball offseason because we feel like this offseason is so important to Cardinal fans. This is where we have grown, I think, by leaps and bounds. Uh, well, first of all, last year we weren't doing it and then uh, at this time. And then uh, in spring training, we were at your kitchen table and we had to figure out a way to make your baby sleep. <laughs> and. Uh, and we were doing it off of phones, that's so that, that we have taken uh, great steps in the right direction. Yeah, so that's this a good technology thing. is pretty strong. I know everybody here probably isn't watching it, but we have two phones there, one phone there, two in the middle there, one there, and so uh, they're back there behind the curtains, running this thing like a uh, like a television show. So you'll be able to watch it on Facebook Live and on Periscope. My understanding is that the uh, president of baseball operations at the St. Louis Cardinals, John Mosellock, is here. Please wow, welcome wow, him to the wow. stage. Mo, come on up. Uh, before we hear from Mo, and say a few jokes. No, 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 no. We're, it's the improv shop, but this is different, Mo. Working with you two. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's, all, it's already started. I knew that was going to be the theme. That's unfortunate. So Mo, we are live on Facebook too. So here's, here's a beverage. Um, Big spender. By the way, <laughs> I want to say this about Mo. Mo is. Uh, <laughs> Mo, this is what, 24 years, right, with the St. Louis Cardinals? You just celebrated. Starting my 24th season. 24th season and 12 as uh, either the GM or the president of baseball operations. By the way, he has never had a losing season uh, at that position. I have done numerous uh, events like this with Mo in which he does engage with the fan base. Most of those are done uh, with season ticket holders with the St. Louis Cardinals. Some of those are done with charities. Not many fans know this, but Mo is uh, in our community, and, and he does not like a lot of the, the limelight uh, going in his direction for this, but I'm, I'm going to do this anyway. He has raised uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years, if not millions, for charities uh, here in St. Louis. So when I called Mo uh, the other day and I said, well, we have this idea. We're going we're gonna to do this at the improv shop, uh, and the proceeds will go to Three Little Birds for Life. And this is uh, right before he's going to go for a week out to California for the GM meetings. It wasn't, you know, well, I don't know this, I don't know that. He said, let me check my schedule. I'm in. He said, three little birds for life, I'm in. And he said, now, what is that exactly? And I said, well, it goes to uh, research and, and helping uh, uh, those with cancer uh, for adults. And he said, I'm in. I'm going to be there. And he said, I have a meeting, but I'll race over and I'll do it. So, Mo, thanks a lot for being here tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you, it. Danny. Thank you so much. Now, are we going to get Bryce Harper? Uh, okay. <laughs> so, let, let's start with the, the GM meetings. Um, Sorry, Mo, I had to, you know. 
I, you knew you I gotta, was going to go somewhere. You got to go with the lead. You, know? you got to go with the lead. You know, I had to start somewhere. I, I, I just wish to... I could choose out there. Yeah, I know. It's a little bright up there. Canvas that group first. I had to butter you up a little bit, you know. Um, GM meetings. Uh, what's that like? You know, does it set the groundwork a little bit for maybe the, the off season? And, and secondly, what's it like for the St. Louis Cardinals? So over the, you know, past couple of decades, the, the meetings have changed quite a bit. And I think part of that's just because naturally how people communicate. As, as you can imagine, you know, 15, 20 years ago, everything was done face-to-face. It was uh, set up a meeting, you'd have these slotted times, but now everybody sends text messages or, you know, just will quickly call you, and it, things are just done much more rapidly. Um, in terms of, like, what the purpose of the GM meetings are, they're really threefold. One is to really understand what types of rules might be changing in the industry, what the industry might be doing to look to improve, try to make it more fan-friendly, all the natural things you might think would go along with those types of industry meetings. And then, of course, then there's the uh, understanding of the free agent market, which you cleverly tapped into right away. <laughs> and then also trying to understand the trade market. So between agents and teams, it's really where you're spending most of your time. So the, the focal point, I feel like, for so many Cardinal fans, and I was surprised by this, Mo, before you got here, we asked people, if the Cardinals were to sign Bryce Harper for an arbitrary number of 10 years, $350 million, would you be on board? Yes. Would you be on? Would you be against it? No. And it was unanimous yes. And I was surprised by that. I knew there would be enthusiasm, but I was surprised that it was like 100% yes. How do you view this discussion that is the focal point of wow. the Cardinal offseason, at so, least for fans? So I, I think like when you sit in my seat, the, the one thing that you, you have to remind yourself of is, is that, first off, if you want to sit in it a long time, you can't make too many mistakes. But more importantly, like, like whenever you go out and, and, and make a big splash in the free agent market or, or you know, sign someone to, to an extended period of time, seven to ten years in, in that range, you, you sort of lose sight of that the day you do it. And, and, and I think like I, w- I would just caution most people to say, like, look, I get it. It'd be exciting. It'd be fun. But what do we look like on those out years? And, and I think like if you, if you honestly take a step back and you look at how well 10-year contracts had performed over, over the life of those, there, aren't, there haven't been too many that have been arguably successful. And, and, you know, I think that's one of the things that you have to do in this business is, is understand that you're not just playing for this season. You're, you're really in this for the long haul. And, you know, Dan pointed out that, that one of the things that, that we've done over, over my time as, as a general manager has been we have won. And, and it might not be to the level that everybody expects or wants, but it is to the point where we have a sustainable model. Now, I don't disagree that, that when you look at our current club and where we're at, we're missing something. But is that something at the tune of $350 million, or could that be something that we could address either in the free agent market or the trade market that doesn't necessarily create that same type of liability? Now, I'm not saying what we're doing yet. I mean, it's still pretty early on in this process. All I'm just saying is there's, there, you have to think about this more of, of – the long view than simply just today. Mo, I was saying to the, the group here, it would be so exciting um, to see a healthy Alex Reyes. Um, where is he right now in terms of his off season? Secondly, where are you with the abundance of pitchers that you have right now as we speak in the middle of November? 
So first off, on on Alex, um, obviously very disappointing couple years. You know, you think that he has such great upside and he's going to contribute at such a high level, and then to lose him for for injuries has just been very, I think, frustrating and disappointing. But you know, expectations are for him to contribute this year. You know, I think you got to be caution yourself here as well. He's probably not a guy that can go out and give you 200 innings. He just hasn't pitched that much over the last two years. So that's just something that we're going to have to monitor. And when you talk about like our depth in pitching and, and what we have, you know, that's our asset. And and so the arbitrage of what that looks like over the next six to eight weeks is really going to be, you know, determine probably what our club looks like. But Again, this is like one of our strengths, and so just to move it to move it probably isn't our, in, in, in our best interest. We want to encourage people, if they would like, to come on up to the microphone. It's at the front left of the stage. I beg you. <laughs> this is it. Tough guys. Yeah, exactly. Come on I knew up. this was going to be a roast, man. I knew it was going to be a roast. Oh, look, we already... Look at Mo. He's it's James Carlton the coming He's right He's ready for it. He's ready to go. Thank hey. you. Thank Kudos you. to you, Mo, for coming out in the presence of greatness like this. We appreciate that. And, Good for you, and, uh, James. No, but in all seriousness, it, it, it does take some <laughs> tip of the cap for, for coming out here. So I, if you can walk us through the, what happened down with the Florida situation last year. So obviously it's well notated what happened with Stanton. Ultimately, he didn't feel like St. Louis was the right place for him, maybe from a social aspect. But I'm just curious. I always read it was Yelich, Yelich, Yelich. And then all of a sudden we wind up with Ozuna, and almost unanimously everybody was saying Ozuna was the better player. And now as we look back, in hindsight, of course, Yelich was the MVP. I just I would love to know if you could walk us through what that looked like a year ago today. Well, I can. Um. <laughs> Again, Mo, thank you for being here. Um, we really, really appreciate life. Three little birds for life. <laughs> So, as you can imagine, in the trade market, you, you make a phone call and, and you ask about a player. And, and certainly one of the players that, that we had interest in early on was Yelich. And we were told that they weren't going to trade him, that the player that they were going to trade was Stanton. So, you know, we huddled. We made an internal de- decision that we would try to pursue this if we could uh, make the finances work. And, and ultimately, we went down that path. And, and, of course, you know how that story ended. He decided um, that St. Louis was not somewhere he wanted to go, so he didn't waive his no trade. They ended up moving him to New York. Um, then we picked up the phone call the ne- or the phone the next day, and we, we asked about Yelich again. We were told they're not going to trade him. So then we decided we would um, go look at Ozuna. And we did think Ozuna would be a good fit for. So, you know, hindsight is one thing, but, you know, when you look at, at the type of production we got from him, we knew it wasn't going to be the same as what he did in 17. It's always hard to, when you're buying something, that you're buying it, you're buying it after they had their career year. So, you know, are we hopeful we still get more out of Ozuna? Of course. But, you know, I, I think that's one of the difficult parts of, of the trading process. And then, you know, you guys know the end of the story. About four weeks later, he was traded to Milwaukee. Um, frustrating, annoying, but but that's sort of you know life in this chair. And you know, could it have been a better ending? Possibly, but um, certainly we're still excited to have Ozuna, and and still think he's going to be a key contributor moving forward. So thank you. One of the things that uh, that I've noticed on whether it be on social media um, and to an extent with with fans on on radio is there is a perception that the organization is not willing to spend money. And I feel like, well, you can hold up the Stanton 
trade that never was as an example that the organization was willing to take on one of the biggest contracts in all professional sports and then say, how can you rationalize those two coexisting? If the organization is frugal, then how can you go out and pursue Stanton? But that perception is out there. How would you address that to fans who are feeling that the Cardinals aren't willing to spend? You know, I think it's it's always frustrating for someone that sits in my seat because, you know, we are playing at at, at roughly 150 to 160 million dollar payroll every year, and you know we're not New York, we're not Chicago, we're not LA, and and I think a lot of people that follow sports always feel like, well, you know, football everybody's spending the same. Well, they have a cap, we don't, and and so we sort of you know we eat what we kill. In other words, if we bring in enough revenue, we we then put it out there, but, you know, we're still not playing on a level playing field. And and I would say that, you know, I don't think how much you spend should be the proxy of how good you are. Um, You know, we've certainly made mistakes out spending something because usually when you get a player in free agency, the proxy is the dollar. And and so what I would say is you got to be efficient. And you know, one of the things that un- under Mr. DeWitt we've always tried to do is is build our pipeline. And for the St. Louis Cardinals to truly be sustainable, that's what we have to do. That's what we have to get right. That doesn't mean we won't trade for someone. That doesn't mean we won't sign for someone. But ultimately, for us to be successful, we've got to have that pipeline flowing. Mo, I'm, I'm curious. We didn't see uh, Dexter at the end. How's his health? Um, have you had the chance to chat with him? Yeah, I spoke with him a couple days ago. Um, he is healing, which is encouraging, and uh, he's been cleared for more physical activity. So I think, you know, one of the things for him is is he has to understand the landscape, which I think he does. And, you know, my hope is is, is, is really you get to see what we saw in Dexter two years ago and not last year. So expectations for him are still high. But, you know, clearly when you look at our club, we know there's something missing. And, and that's something that, you know, whether it comes in that large free agent package or we do something else in the trade market, we know we need to do something. Do you anticipate this market moving at a quicker pace than, than the glacial pace of, of last year's offseason? You know, I do. I, I feel like, you know, dialogue and discussions. When you look back to last year, one of the things that I think stands out the most was you had a team that literally was breaking up. And, and so when you have a team that, that is, has said they're waving the white flag, I think it really changes the pace of the free agent market. And imagine if you were an outfielder last year and a free agent, and then all of a sudden you had Stanton on the market, then you had Osuna on the market, then you had Yelich on the market. All of a sudden that's going to distract you from maybe necessarily just going to the free agent market. So I do think you're going to see a bigger pace this year, and I would imagine as we get closer to winter meetings and at winter meetings, you're going to see a lot more of activity. Uh, yes, sir. Sure. Uh, thank you. Uh, my first question is, do you think Theo, Cashman, or Dombrowski put themselves through this crap? Or is it just it? <laughs> Drop that, out of his that microphone. That might be the best question of the night. He'll <laughs> get a prize. I certainly hope so. Uh, right. Well, thank you for doing it. Um, my real question is, and it's a little baseball nerdy, but with the asset of a lot of young arms who may not be able to do 200 innings and with what Tampa did and Oakland did with the idea of an opener instead of your traditional starter, do you see your organization doing something creative like that to throw a lot of the arms at the innings uh, in order to maximize the output? So, so I think that's a great question and, and actually a, a, a great debate. Um, I don't want to sit up here and tell you I have the best answer to that. But I, I do think when you're looking at a 162-game schedule, 
having, quote, this opener model is a lot tougher to manage in, in a regular season than it certainly is in the postseason. I think, obviously, in the, in the postseason, you can be a little bit more strategic. I, I mean, you saw how teams were trying to get a left-handed lineup out there versus a right-handed lineup and then trying to combat it. But I do feel like the one thing you can do is, is if you did have the piggyback system, so if you were doing something with a younger arm and, and piggybacking it with another one and then sort of having that set up as your fifth or sixth starter, that's doable. But then you've got to remember those two individuals are not available until that fifth day comes up. And I think from a, a bullpen management standpoint, I do think that's a little bit taxing and, and sometimes difficult. But I do think the game itself is, is gravitating to that. I would actually ask all of you, how much fun do you think that is to watch? And, and um, I do think when you look at the game and all of a sudden you're seeing starters always getting pulled before they get to that third time through the lineup, and then you're left with that bullpen, I just don't know if that's like great for the game. I also think it slows the game down because you know that's going to basically uh, uh, allow for multiple pitching changes throughout the game. So... I'm an advocate, if we can figure our way to do this right, is, is have starters that can go out there and get you through the third time through the lineup. But analytically, well, analytics would tell you that's not the best strategy. Was that talked about at all at the GM meetings in, in terms of pace of play and all the, the different things that analytics look at that, that do slow the game down? Absolutely. It's, it's a hot topic, and, and you got to remind yourself that the 30 people sitting in that room are all, all quite competitive and all looking for that edge. But, you know, I think when you look at our game today and you're looking at where it's going, we have to be storts of it. We have to understand that, that you know, we shouldn't be ruining it just for a win. And, and so ultimately, I gotta, you got to think about this bigger picture. You know, take the 50,000-foot view and decide what's best for the game. And, you know, again, I, I think all of you are really the voice that we should be hearing, not what I think. Having said that, Mo, um, how important do you think it is as you look at this offseason to get another lefty? You know, you got Dexter Fowler coming back healthy, but another lefty in your lineup somehow, some way. Well, I... I I would answer it this way. I, I would say if you could find a middle-of-the-order hitter, whether it's right or left, we would benefit. Um, but having a left-handed bat, I certainly think, would be something that we would welcome. But I, I don't think we should constrain ourselves just to that because we're going to obviously limit our options, and that's not a great way to have leverage as you enter this offseason. We did an interview about a year ago, uh, and, and I asked you what your priorities for the offseason. I don't remember. No, I thought you said it was a career highlight. <laughs> He said that was a career highlight. He pulled me aside and said it was a career highlight. That in the 2011 World Series. <laughs> Look at Moe's reaction. Not even it's smiling. Just, he's like, he's lifeless. I sucked the life out of him with that. And you said the offseason priorities were a 1A and 1B, bullpen help, and impact bat. How would you describe the 2018-19 offseason priorities? Well, I think I've been very public on that. Uh, obviously, we need a left-hand reliever. Um, clearly, when you look at our division and you're facing Avado, Yelich, or Rizzo every night, you, you need someone that can combat that. And then also, I think when you look at our lineup, trying to improve the the run production of it would be trying to find someone that could hit in that that you know upper half of the of our lineup. And so, you know, I think. If, if we could accomplish that, that'd be a great offseason. Um, you know, there's some other things we'd like to do that I, I think are sort of less interesting. But, you know, if we could get 
both of those done, I think A, will be a better club. I think we'll be competing for the Central Division. And, and more importantly, I think you would put us in a good spot long term. We have people lining up, and we want people to feel comfortable to come up and ask questions. That's Looks it. like That's I, one person. <laughs> I saw the guy back there. That's not people. Uh, I just have a question about uh, contracts in general. Um, it looks like right now that a lot of your top free agents are interested in buyouts. So when looking at the landscape of where the Cardinals are or just any club in general, um, let's say they like a buyout or buyout, an opt-out after three, um, the Cardinals are kind of in a window with Carpenter and Molina where that would be like a reasonable amount of time where you might want to overpay for a player um, to bring in and help the club now. Now, if you're talking about a $300 million contract, is there any appetite to do like half that contract in the first three years? And then if the player decides... So you're saying like $55 million a yeah, year? Yeah, I mean, just for the sake of math. No. no what, what I mean is you've got... You've got fifty million, straightforward. One hundred and fifty over vodka. three years, and then another hundred and fifty over the next seven. So if he thinks that he's earned that fifty million and can opt out and go elsewhere, and doesn't think that the next hundred and fifty over another seven years is up to par of what he's been earning, then he can opt out. You've gotten your three years out of him, and so on. Is there any appetite on either side for something like that? I'm glad you're not looking for a job, um, yeah. <laughs> but. Having said that, so, so why do people want opt-outs? Um, I, I think that the one thing we haven't done a very good job on is sort of understanding how to value the opt-out. So, for example, if, if you do, a, let's just do a six-year deal, and after three years a player can opt-out. A player is only going to opt-out if he thinks he can go make more money. If, in other words, the team only gets the downside of the opt-out. Um, if player absolutely stinks, he's going to stay in, and then you have the underperforming asset at a high dollar rate. In terms of like front-loading the contract to incentivize a player not to opt out, is 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 also dangerous because you know ultimately, again, if performing well, he's gone, and you've already upfront paid him, which would be you know from an industry standpoint way overpay. So you know I think as a whole it's just something that all of us are trying to get a better understanding of. But you know to have someone that's actually making like fifty or sixty million a year, you know I just don't think our revenue structure would support that. How how easy was the deal with Adam Wainwright? Uh, talking with him the other day, he said he knew uh, within I guess a couple of weeks before the season ended. He said in his mind he knew he was going to come back whether it was with the Cardinals or another team. So. Um, from your perspective, how easy was that to get done? So uh, Adam's agent had, had reached out to me, um, asked about what, what a contract might look like. Uh, we floated a few things by conceptually. It probably took less than 30 minutes of a conversation. Right? And, you know, ultimately, I, I, f- I feel like these kind of deals are a couple of things. One is Adam's just a special person to the organization, what he's done, what he's meant to us. So he deserves something. But... The fact that, that he didn't put a gun to our head and, and make us have to make really tough decisions, because, look, if he can't pitch, it's not going to set the organization back. We're not, we're not leveraging so much that we're in a bad position. And if he does pitch, he gets paid. Pretty simple. That's right. Um, I've had so many people over the years, Mo, ask me about the Pujols deal and, and how it went, how it didn't go, what was behind the scenes. Um, without giving away too much, because some of that is private, 
um, how did that all go down? And as you reflect on it now, um, what are your thoughts on on Pujols? And then also looking ahead, Albert coming back to St. Louis this year. Well, I, I think as, as as everybody could imagine, I mean, when you're dealing with an iconic player in your system and what he meant to us historically, uh, we sort of just touched on it in the Adam Wainwright example, but. You know, we're talking a lot, about a lot of different dollars. And, and so for, for Mr. DeWitt, myself, it was something that, that we agonized over for, for a long period of time. And, you know, what I would say to people is, is that this was not just a two- or three-week negotiation. This was something that, that was happening over a couple of years. And, 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 you know, ultimately we didn't get it done. And if you invest that kind of time or energy into something, you're always disappointed. And, and so... You know, obviously, history's history. What's happened has happened. But um, I certainly, when I reflect back on that that um, point in time, it was something that um, you you were sad, you were depressed, you were frustrated, and you, you know, at that moment, again, we always sort of live in that moment. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. But as we sit back now, organization was able to move on. We were able to have success. And we continue to try to do that. What do you think it'll be like when he comes back? Well, I imagine it's going to be a special moment. I, I certainly do. Um, you, you know, you can't take away for what he did here, and and what he did was quite special, arguably historic. So, I would imagine those three days will be pretty exciting. I'm curious your perspective on the importance of a face of the franchise. Is that something? that the organization as a whole values in addition to what you get from a player like that on the field? Is that something that, that you guys are focused on this offseason? You know, it's actually a, a, a great question, and I appreciate you asking. I didn't a- ask him to ask, I swear. I haven't talked to him in years. <laughs> um, this is the first time we met. Uh, <laughs> bummer. <laughs> so... You know, I, I think when I was doing the, the, the postseason press conference, I, I touched on the face of a franchise. And I, I, I stated that that is something that, that would be important to us. But as I, as I said that, I kind of had like the foot and mouth moment where I was like, well, we have Yadier Molina. And, and to, to take away from him and, and, and say that he's not a face of a franchise, I think is insulting to him and disrespectful to him. And, and more importantly, he is our face. And so... Maybe really what I should have said and what you're asking is having an additional face. Um, and, and I think like having that type of identity is absolutely critical to success. And, and I get that. And, and so whether that means it's somebody we develop or have to go out and find, I, I, I see it. We understand it. But um, you know, having something that, that can complement Yachty and what he's done here I think is important. You were a part of the front office that saw McGuire come here and then sign long-term Edmonds. Rolling, uh, I feel like I'm leaving somebody out inevitably. Holiday, and then I was going to include Matt Holiday when you were the, the general manager at, at that point. And now, over the last five years, I think the region as a whole, in some capacity, is suffering from some uh, self confidence issues because of a lot of things that have nothing to do with the Cardinals. And then you see guys who have an opportunity to come here not come here. And so I think some St. Louisans and people who are Cardinal fans who don't live in the region are going, "Is it us? Is it the region?" Has it changed at all? Probably you. You think it's me. You think if I left, Bryce Harper would come here. I don't think anybody would trade me for Bryce Harper. Do you listen to his show? I mean, it's... He has a show? 
Which it's on nine twenty. It's on nine twenty. Oh, oh no, man. you go back to five ninety. That's right. We're okay. back every couple of years. We travel like gypsies. Yeah, I can't find that. No. Thirteen eighty. It's tough to it's tough to find us. Just podcast. So I'm asking: Has it gotten more difficult in the free agency market because of? What changed? I mean, I know that the market changed from 97 through 2009, but that the Cardinals are now we're hearing about being the bridesmaid. And I think that's what upsets some fans. Oh, yeah, great. You finish in second. Who cares? I think that's part of the offseason frustration. Look, um, that's our owner's frustration with me. I mean, that's when I get in trouble. But, you know, it's, it's about like being prudent and trying to do what's right. But, you know, bigger topic. Is St. Louis a desirable place to play? I think the answer is yes. Is it what it was 15 or 20 years ago? The answer is no. Why? Because a lot of front offices, a lot of ownerships are getting a lot more sophisticated, a lot smarter, and they're making their places more attractive as well. But you know, that's not to say that we're in some steady state where we're not looking to get better or we're not looking to improve. And, and so you know, when you talk about like, what do we do to recruit, what do we do to sell, you know, we, we try to put the positives of St. Louis on there. But... You know, depending on what the player is looking for, depending on the market size he wants to play in, we are who we are to some level. And, you know, playing in front of over three million fans a year, I do think is still an attraction. I think uh, being in the center of the country is still helpful. But, you know, there are things that could improve. Like if you have an airport that can fly in more places, that would that would help. Um, <laughs> no, it would. It's just like you, you – I mean, think about your own businesses when you go to work and where you got to go. It's just – it's helpful. And so, you know, when you look at, at, at our city and how we try to improve, I do feel like it's, it's, it's more of a larger issue than just – What's happening at Bush Stadium? No question. we got about five to ten minutes, and then we'll let Mo go, and then we'll wrap up the uh, hour uh, at the top of the hour. Um, Mo, I- I'm curious. I'm watching Yachty uh, play in, in the, the All-Stars over in Japan. Number one, I think it's unbelievable. I'm watching him last night, and it's just like, eh, no big deal. He's framing the ball. He had a couple of hits. I just I find the guy incredible because he just plays night after night after night. Number two, I was thinking of you. I'm sitting there. If Mo's watching this, do you ever get worried about that? Him playing in something like that? It's insured. Okay, we just move on. Um, third, otherwise I would be. Yeah, it's like I'm just natural. Third, I think to myself, there are some when I watch on a national level or read. Uh, and they, they'd say, well, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. And I, I, I don't understand that. Now, maybe I'm biased because I watch him every day and I see the little things that he does. The numbers are what they are. But to me, it's a first ballot Hall of Famer or close to it. Would no, you agree? I, I would agree with that. And I, and I think uh, history will, will be kind to him. Um, there's no doubt when you look at, at sort of like the, the Hall of Fame group of catchers and, and you look at their offensive production, they, you know, they stand out. But there's – Yachty changes a game, and, and his importance to a team and what he's meant to a team, I think, is going to be something that, that screams Hall of Fame on the first ballot. So, you know, I don't really try to wrap myself up in these arguments because I think they're a little bit silly because I know he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And, and I think ultimately what he's meant to the St. Louis Cardinals and what he's meant to our city, what he's meant to, the, to Puerto Rico, these are special things. And it's beyond just what he does in baseball. Guy's an incredible player to the point that he's over there playing in Japan where a lot of veteran players wouldn't even, like, think about that. Right. And a lot of the MLB people told me that they were so grateful for him because he was helping recruit that team and put it together because he just loves to play baseball. And that's special. And you don't have to beg the guy to come to the ballpark. 
you got to actually beg them not to play, and we haven't been very good at that. Unbelievable. Uh, the club went 22-6 and six in August, and what we saw was a, uh, fewer strikeouts and a lot of activity on the bases. You hired a, um, a guy, and, and at least on his resume, it seems like you know he's focused on putting the ball in play constantly, which then leads to activity on the bases. Mike Schilt likes to make you know, motion and, and activity offensively. Is that kind of the... You I don't know, even where, know where you're going. With well, this. is that where it all ties in with this? <laughs> when you said his resume. Well, yeah, I'm looking Very at untraditional. Could have hired a few people out there. Um, is that where it all ties in with all this? Well, I, I think like when, when, when you look at, at, at what Schilte believes and his philosophy on the game, you know, he, he's just a very bright baseball mind. And, w- and when you're looking at, at how he thinks about putting this club together, how he thinks about remaining competitive, the, the key to, to Mike is, is what Schilte did was he cleaned a lot of the little things up, pays an enormous attention to detail. And, you know, I, 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 I'm joking about his resume, but if we were sitting here at any point in time and we're like, oh, would someone like this ever get a job? I mean, this room would be like, mm, might want to vote for him, but afraid to. And I get it. But you know what? He's, he's, he's one of those guys that... He just gets stuff done, he's very successful, and he's going to be a great leader for uh, this club moving forward. And I was bringing up the hitting coach, too, and, and meaning that his resume is one that, and you know him quite well, he was in the minor league system with the Cardinals, but you bring him back, ideas, put the ball in play. There's a premium on putting the ball in play. Jeff Albert's definitely someone that, that, that has, uh, his philosophy is making contact. So, you know, when you look at, at the game of baseball right now, you guys realize it was the first time in, in, in history of the game that there were more strikeouts than hits. That's never happened before. And, you know, when you talk about big picture, that's a concern. And so I think, like, just from our fan base, getting that ball in play, I think, is, is critical. Now, you know, Jeff Albert's not going to be able to, you know, wave a magic wand and it's just going to you know, fix it. But he has a strategy and a process to do it. And more importantly, it's, it's something that he's going to make sure that, that translates down at the minor league level so we continue to develop that type of hitter moving forward. If anybody would like to ask a question before John Ozalak takes off, please head on up to the microphone. This is your chance. This is your, your opportunity. Uh, Perhaps I've been offensive. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but he will obviously answer whatever you ask. Uh, I'm curious, because I think there's a fan sense that there is urgency this offseason. Do you feel urgency this offseason? Absolutely. I, but, but I would say that every year. Um, you, you know, the types of pressure you deal with with this job, it's, it's, it's just ever-changing. Um, you know, I, I think back to probably my most stressful offseason was after we won the World Series in 2011. Uh, Manager steps down a day after we win the World Series. Albert Pujols' negotiation is going to come up, come into fruition here, and so it's all of a sudden it's like, you know, there was no time to breathe, and you didn't even think about it. And and so like, in terms of pressure to to be the general manager in the St. Louis for the St. Louis Cardinals, it's demanding because people want to win, but that's what makes it so exciting. And and so like, I'm not complaining. I I, I swear to you guys, it's it's just. But when people always ask, like, you know, is it, is it more stressful or not than, than any other year, it's always a stress because, you know, I want people to be happy. I don't want to go to the grocery store and be told, hey, go get a closer, you know, because that means something isn't right. And so, you know, all I really wanted was to get some eggs, you know what I mean? So, but my point is, it's, it's about keeping people smiling. Every day, does somebody ask you about Bryce Harper? 
No. Because <laughs> you go from your house to straight to the ballpark. I learned a long time ago. Don't ask if you don't want to hear the answer. <laughs> <laughs> we you have guys a, enjoyed uh, this. Oh, we got one more. We question? got one more. Yes. Yes, sir. I'm a little nervous, so I wrote it down. So I apologize. Uh, a common opinion among some fans and broadcasters across baseball is a 10-year, 300 plus million dollar contract is irresponsible because it can really hamstring a franchise. Um, how valid is that opinion now that there are billion-dollar TV contracts uh, that teams like like the Cardinals are getting? Or in other, in other words, do, team, do deals like that really hamstring franchises anymore? Um, good question. I, I don't think you can give a blanket answer there because, as I stated earlier, we don't have a salary cap. So revenues between teams are different. Has, has TV revenue changed the, how we should think about paying players? And the answer is yes. Um, but maybe the easiest way to think about it is, is you know, 10 years ago – when we were drawing the same amount of people versus where we are today, we didn't have $160 million payroll. We had probably 110. So when you have all this new revenue, new revenue from TV coming in, just imagine a larger pie. And, and how you carve it up between players and teams really hasn't changed. The piece is a little bigger. So when, when people talk about do contracts, Hamper clubs. Maybe, maybe another way to think about this would be how many teams have actually won the World Series with, say, 25% of their payroll going to one player or 30% of their payroll going to one player. You'd be surprised at, at how unsuccessful that model is. So, you know, when you talk about one contract hamstringing a player, I don't necessarily agree with the argument, but the premise would be how much of that is eating up your other resources. And so that can become more of a, a detriment than than maybe just saying the contract itself as a whole. So, you know, I, I, I try to think about these things many different ways, and I'm sure I'm boring you all by now. But the point is it's 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 really about having a sustainable model. And if if we can do it from producing from within, that's our goal. If we can't, we'll go outside. We have well, uh, Dan. I think a scraggler just uh, arrived at the microphone. One more, yeah. Last one. Is the club aware of the picnic table on the outside of the clubhouse with regards? You're trying to, to sabotage our spring training coverage. It's trying try, try to. This sabotage. may be the most important question <laughs> I'm, of I'm the night. I was going to ask about the powder there? blue uniforms. Actually, is it just there by happenstance, or is this? I've, <laughs> I've seen Mo actually stop this and is terrible. look. Disgusted at Tim, Doug, and the cat every morning as he leaves, goes and does a chore, whatever he's doing, comes back, stops, looks, shakes his head, and goes right back to work. What are my chores? Well, it's your personal business, whatever it is. But it's early in the morning, and you're upset with those guys. I am up. upset. I know. It's like, it's I just, like, I'm trying to leave they, it nice. They, they have like this squatter's right thing that, that yeah. makes no sense to anybody. I've got all the writers like complaining to me. And, and we even like kind of like upgrade it, like that little seating area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was nice. Thank Put you. Put some flowers, a little patio. Yeah. Um, electrical outlets so no one's phone dies. And then they try to take that over. It's, it's amazing. Um, 
And, of course, I'm on their side as I go to Mo and say, look at that crap. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Can you believe this? This is the St. Louis Cardinals. Hey, guys, looking great over there. Mo, can you believe this stuff? It's embarrassing. Two-Face. Oh, well. Mo, thank you so much for coming by and participating in the fun and games. Ladies and gentlemen, the Cardinal president of baseball thank operations, you. John Mazzella. Thank you, Mo. Appreciate it. There he is, John Mazalak, kind enough to take time out of his evening to join us here on the uh, Bud Select. Q How awesome was that, huh? Mo's awesome. Good dude. Joe Strauss would have loved the shot at Lambert. Joe Strauss would have oh, loved the shot at Lambert. Uh, what is it, Hooterville? Hooterville. Switching mics. Mike two, Mike two. All right. So uh, your thoughts, please. Uh, Q&A continues here. You're welcome to ask questions of me and Dan. We, of course, will give our thoughts as well. Um, I what did you have? Uh, did you have a bunch of people uh, chiming in on that thing? Yeah, I did. Uh, but uh, I didn't have it open as we were asking questions. But oh, yeah, that's the, great. The, the Facebook nice Live. start. Yeah, I guess I'll pull it up now. The Facebook Live was very active. That's a real good start, isn't it? Yeah, I did. I was locked in on the conversation. Uh, but any questions people have, please feel free to come up. And it doesn't have to be uh, strictly Cardinal related. Derek Gould out there. I can't see anybody. Is I Derek kinda, Gould there? Yeah, if we block the lights. I thought Derek Gould was here at some point. Oh, wow. Where is he? There he is. is he? The great Derek Gould is here. Did you here. take anything away from that, Derek? Yeah, we'll, we'll chat later, I guess. Derek, come to the microphone if you have a question. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, I'm always fascinated, and I, I think, you know, he was... Hi, Dan. Well, the oh, microphone is on. Derek's got the uh, Derek's microphone. Derek's got a mic. That's dangerous. We'll be here all night. Um, so, again, I, I think, you know, as, as Mo talked about, he's talking about a, a lefty in the bullpen. It obviously has been a, a tough couple of years on Brett Cecil, um, Jason Shreve. Uh, you're obviously looking to add a middle-of-the-bat left-handed or right-handed power bat that Mo has addressed. And, um, and the other aspect that he's talking about is, is having a surplus of pitching, which is what we mentioned earlier. I mean, the Cardinals can deal from, um, um, from a strength if they want to and get creative, but, you know, they've got a lot of arms coming back, and we'll see exactly what direction they want to go in. So if you'd like to ask some questions, or we can just sit here and chit-chat while you guys uh, – uh, try to uh, coax uh, Bud Select into another, uh, <laughs> another round. Well, the great James Carlton's I at got the microphone. One. So yes, one of the things TMA does is really challenge his critical thought. And uh, one day I heard Tim and Doug discuss. I think he was being sincere there. I did. And it kind I of did. Hear me out. Hear me out. So one thing I heard. Hold Tim, on. I'm, I'm a little concerned because so I, I know a lot of people but I know are I here can't. for Tim's show. And I can only imagine because I see a young boy in the audience nah, with his I'm father. And they're going to see this is you know, John Mozalock. And they're probably thinking, free dotum and what? What is going on <laughs> Who is here? Larry Nichols? Okay. I was at that fight you referenced, by the way. But anyway. Yeah, okay. Uh, so one of the things they mentioned is probably nobody in mankind has spoken more words than Vince. Scully. Think about it. Yeah. I mean, he's been by himself in a broadcast booth. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on how you always work on your craft and, and juggle between different sports because baseball, there's so much dead time. Well, I, I think, um, honestly, I, I think doing television, baseball, and I'm not just saying this because I do it, but I think doing play-by-play of television, baseball is the hardest of them all. And that includes any any of the, the radio uh, and that's not to take away from I've done them all. I, I, I just think it's the hardest now because over the years, 
we give you everything. So we give you the score. We give you, you know, the count. We give you where the runners are. A lot of times we split screen and, and show you this and we show you that. So I try to do as much research, and I love the history of the team and the and, and dates in history, and I talk to a lot of the older players uh, and the greats from the franchise, and I just try to make it interesting. And then when I'm with the various guys I'm with, I try to cater to their era. Um, and really the idea of my job, and I, I did a lot of work at ESPN for a number of years that may, maybe you guys have never even seen because um, – it was it was just for it was at the infancy stages of some of the different things that they were doing, but I did a ton, um, and they always taught me you know you're you're there to really set up the analyst if you can, and um, I try to do that. So when I'm with those guys, that's what I try to do, especially with McCarver or Al or you know the guys that that because it's it's hard. I mean when like John was talking about we're we're in a sabermetric um, era of baseball. So the younger fan loves that. The older fan typically wants to hear Tim McCarver talk about the 60s. Some people want to hear what's going on in the 70s. Ricky's talking about the 80s. Jimmy Edmonds is a baseball savant, so he can really get into what's going on with a guy's swing and, a, and what's happening with uh, a guy tipping pitches or what he should throw or not throw. He's incredible at it. And the players of today still are going to him and asking him, um, for advice, we walk down to the clubhouse, and I mean, it happens every single time. What do you see in my swing? Do you see if I'm tipping my pitches? It happens all the time. He'll text a guy during the game, "Hey, call me after the game. This is what I'm doing right. This, you know, if I I'm seeing this." So I'm trying to do all those things. Um, and I have a the story I always tell about Jack Buck, which I should have told earlier. I got called in. Mike Shannon at his night at the races. We were playing the Dodgers. And so the week before, I was doing the Dodgers and the Cardinals on television. And I had all these note cards, and I was very young at the time. And, I mean, I could tell you every single thing that was going on with every player, who their parents were, grandparents, where they were from, high school, what color they liked, their favorite food. It had everything. So now, fast forward, the next weekend, we're at Bush Stadium. I'm getting ready to do the radio because I got called in. Shannon has the night at the races. they got to get the game in. And they know it's a rain delay, but they know they're going to get the game going. And I'm getting to the point because it's about Jack, and it taught me a great lesson, of which I don't always follow. But he says, um, he says, Dan, what are those? I said, Mr. Buck, these are my notes. I am ready to go. I'm excited. I can't wait to go. He says, really? Let me look at those. Takes my notes into a thousand pieces slams him into the trash can he said that's the game that's not the bleeping game describe what you see kid and walked out of the booth that's great and so (laughs) and he went and took a nap for like an inning and so i was just left by myself but the point was and he later told me he said you know i did that and i said yes he said you're the eyes the ears you're the feeling for the people at the ballpark. Always describe what you see and, and tell them what's going on. Now, television is different, obviously. You can see it. But it was a great point in, um, in trying to make sure that you describe what you see and, and be the eyes and ears and be the, the presence that is at the game. So I'm going in a roundabout way, but I try to deliver now the game with excitement and be a fan at the game. That's what I try to do. Yes, sir. 
Greetings, gentlemen. Uh, Dan and Tim, spectacular evening tonight. So appreciate Thank you, you guys having us. Uh, yeah, give it to them. Give it to them. Spectacular evening. <laughs> Bringing it. Anyway, um, and this is just to Dan, not to dismiss uh, Tim's talent, but Dan, I've been a fran- fan of yours since you were 12 years is this old. Caller Dan? Is this the real Caller Dan? This could be Caller Dan. I don't know if this is Caller Dan or not. I've heard of Caller Dan, and I want to be He's on the record. Controversial. Yeah, He's controversial. This is important. I, I just want to be on the record. Have, have you guys know who Caller Dan is? Okay, Caller Dan is is a hot sports take caller. He's a takesmith. He, he's got he's great, hot. He's got great takes. He's just a little nervous, a little nervous, but great takes. Much like Mel from Marlboro. Very much so. Yeah. But that's all I know, and I'm not. That's all I got to say. Yeah, that's clear. It's on the record. So now. my question to you is: You've kind of delved into your your personal story about your broadcasting career. I particularly think you are excellent at college basketball and basketball. Is that something that's going to grow in the future, or are you going to just stay with St. Louis University? And what's your take on your love of broadcasting? And I know you've attested here tonight that you are a cardinal lover, and you have been. You've been broadcasting since you were in your bedroom watching with your father and your brother. Is college basketball anywhere in your future? Because Dan McLaughlin is the best color is the best college basketball broadcaster with John Sunvold in the country. How about that? I appreciate. No, it. you are. I appreciate that. Um, did Mizzou for a number of years? Then Mizzou went to the SEC, so now they're at the SEC Network. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough, like I mentioned earlier, when I was doing stuff at ESPN, it was great. Um, at one point, I was doing four games a week. I was doing ACC, Big East, um, Big 12, M, uh, Missouri Valley Conference, and I was doing Missouri basketball. So I was doing sometimes five games a week. And that's where it was kind of the infancy stages of ESPNU, which now is, yeah. you know, really exploded. So I was doing, a, you know, probably 50, 60 basketball games a week, which I love. I love college basketball. It's been a blast doing SLU, and for anybody that likes college basketball, SLU is going to be pretty good this year. Um, they're a little rough right now. They've got a lot of talent, but they're all – if you watch them, they're all just trying to figure out who each other is, spacing, trying to get the ball in the right place. Um, but they're going to be good. And I'll give Travis Ford a lot of credit. Um, I think we are very much here in St. Louis, we like our own, Right. We want to see our own do well. We want to take care of our own. And from day one, uh, one of the smart things he did, my understanding is he picked up the phone and called Rich Grower. He picked up the phone and called former uh, players that were from the area and, and other people that were involved in the program and in the athletic department within like the first hours of getting the, the, uh, the job and said, tell me about St. Louis. Who do I need to go to? Who are the movers and shakers? Who, who's involved with slew basketball? And, um, and to his credit, man, he's, he's gotten good players. Cartier Gordon, Jordan Goodwin. He's got another one coming next year. And these guys can flat out play. So they've turned that program around. He's done that thing in three years. He can recruit. So I hope they get it together. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I'd love to do more college basketball, but we'll, we'll see where it takes me. One of the things that Dan is, uh, is very passionate about, he wrote about it today on his website, scoopswithdannymack.com, so check it out, is the MLS. And, again, I just like to do my Gallup polls out here. Uh, how many of you would like to see the MLS in St. Louis? It's overwhelming. 
And if you could, you just did an interview with Jim Cavanaugh, who is involved with the ownership group of Worldwide yeah. Technology. Uh, what yeah. is your perspective on the situation with the MLS for St. Louis? Well, this is a, a broad look at it, okay? So don't hold me to it, but this is, this is the way I size it up. I can't think of any other way to put it is that they, they are, they're lining it up to put it on a tee for everybody here in town to say, okay, the mayor, the board of aldermen, the governor, state officials. I mean, it's the deepest pockets you can find in the Taylor family, Jim Cavanaugh. The Taylor family, you know, I, I think they're learning to like soccer, but this is about a love of St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. This is about trying to interconnect the stadium to their other projects and understanding that St. Louis needs a win. This is about trying to make St. Louis a better place. I think if you put them on stage with us right now and said, are you guys huge soccer fans? I mean, tell me about Pele and tell me about uh, Carl Rose and the Steamers. They, um, uh, yeah, great. You know, I don't, I don't think they would know, you know, the, the inner workings of MLS yet. I think they're learning about it. I think they're becoming more familiar with it. I think they're coming, becoming fans of it. Um, I think, though, what, what's very important is that this is becoming more and more like it may happen. And the reason I'm saying that is that MLS is looking at local ownership. So the first time through, the vote goes down. They were asking for the public vote. It got shot down. It was $60 million, um, in, in public financing, potentially, with that. That's no longer. Um, and, and there's no vote with this. And so they've chipped in more money. It's going to go on a blighted portion of the land, which is about a little bit west of Union Station. It's 25, 30 acres. Um, and so, obviously, government officials and city officials need to get together with this ownership group and make this happen. Mm-hmm. It needs to happen. Um, we need a win. It, you know, the Rams leaving and Ferguson and the various things that we have going on in this town. And I wrote about it today. When I travel, and I travel a lot, I mean, it's a lot of negative things that are being said about St. Louis. And, yes, I think there's got to be give and take. And I, I have questions about still what's going on with this, but they're trying to answer these very quickly. Jim mentioned uh, in the, the interview that I did, it's about a 90-day window. They, they want to get this thing rolling. So it's very important that they need to get out there and, I think, inform the public um, Explain where they're at, where the tax money's going, uh, coming from, where it goes uh, in terms of the stadium, the land, how it all works out. And then at that point, you know, I think MLS says, my God, we're in a hotbed for soccer. It's been here forever. Um, we, we have great support and deep pockets with these people. And really, it's just those two families. This is a slam dunk. It's a no-brainer. So I think as we go forward, it's going to make more and more sense as we, as we progress and go down this road. And I, I'd love to see it happen. Dan, Dan and I were very uh, passionate, as a number of people certainly were, about the Rams situation um, a couple of years ago and all that led up to it. And I think we're both uh, privy to information that ideally will be coming out uh, when there is the discovery process that I do believe is going to go on with Stan Kroenke and Kevin Demoff. I, I truly believe that. That's not just like I hope. That is, I'm being told. Um, and we both, when we get together, just BSing over lunch, get fired up about it. Absolutely. You need a beverage? Uh, 
Absolutely. Here you go. Um, and so with regard to the Rams and that whole process and you getting fired up, I know why I get fired up. I get, I get, why do you get yeah. fired up? What, what gets you going? Because you it, tell it, a story right You wrote about it today about your son. He was emotional about it, and it didn't need to happen. You know, it just it didn't need to happen. And I, I think I speak for many people that probably have kids that are, are here uh, or have kids. Um, you know, I, I know Dave Peacock well, and, and <laughs> he worked his, his tail off uh, free of charge for a, over a year. He uh, does a lot of philanthropic things in this town and, and worked his tail off. Uh, sun up, sun down, to try to make this happen. There was a stadium there. Uh, got it through the board of aldermen. It was there for the taking. Uh, publicly financed portion of it, ready to go. And, um, and you know, Stan Kroenke clearly did not want to be here. And the way that they went about it was just so disingenuous. It was awful. And it was terrible. And being a guy that's born and raised here, it left an awful taste in my mouth. I watched my oldest son, who was a huge Rams fan, uh, you know, cry about it. That bothers me still. It sticks with me to this day. And it didn't have to happen. And that's what pisses me off. And I, I, I love this place. And I don't want to see this city going in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, I'm seeing that. And that's why I wrote in this article I, I printed today, am I the biggest soccer fan? No. Um, I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. Am I a fan of the sport? Yes, I am. Would I buy season tickets? You bet I would. Um, because we need to see cranes. We need to see development. We need to see stuff happening. Uh, that has to happen. Um, and that's a real problem. You know, you travel around to different cities, and there is momentum in other cities. And so back to the original point, it just it didn't have to happen. And, and unfortunately, it was a terrible lease. He took advantage of it, and he's gone. And that's just the way it is. Um, he's a shrewd businessman, and, he, and, it's, and it's over. Do I think uh, we'll ever see NFL here in St. Louis in my lifetime? Probably not. It's, uh, I hate saying that. I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see it back. I'd welcome it back. But um, it, still, it still boils me to the core that this has happened and that people – because y- you have to remember, it's just so much more than going to the game on Sunday. And I, you know, I try to do a lot of different charitable things like you do and others in this, in this crowd and being here tonight. It's the charitable – uh, tentacles of that organization that are, are are part of those, and I would see that everywhere. The Rams would sponsor something. The Cardinals are doing it all the right. time. You know, whether it be a signed jersey or buying sponsorship or whatever the case may be, um, it's it's the people they employed. It's the, the the people on Sundays. It's the the dining experience downtown after a game. Whatever, but it it meant a lot to this town. And that's gone, and and that is a that's a loss for this town, and it's a big one. The thing that, that stands out to me about it that, that bothers me the most, because as we talked about it on our show, he had the right to do it, whether we like it or not. He had the right to do it. The byproduct, sure however, of it was oh, St. Louis is a is a bad football town, bad sports fans, and a dying city. And that's the part that really bothers me because that was an unnecessary kick to the dying body as they walked out the door. Regarding soccer, the thing that enthuses me is I would probably fall in the same category of you as not being like a huge passionate fan as there are so many, but I'm certainly a fan of the game. Uh, Producer Joe's bets on the over every Sunday morning are very valuable, and I really would recommend them to everybody. Uh, that, that 
it's a young game, and it, it brings youthful enthusiasm. And, I, no and, one of, and one of the things that I feel like our region is lacking is a, is a home, or at least people feeling like it's a home for young people in their teens and 20s who are uh, out of school and feeling like this is a place that they can and want to live in their 20s. Otherwise, we, we serve as almost like a quadruple A team for Chicago and Denver and Dallas and New York. And I think we have a lot to offer here. And so what I'm hopeful of soccer, outside of it being good for the region, is that it will serve as what you see in a lot of places and what you already have to some extent uh, it was the soccer park with the energy that you have there. There's enthusiasm surrounding games that it's like a college football game day that I think would be great for younger people in St. Louis. And I'm really hopeful that that's a part of it because I feel like sometimes 20-somethings in St. Louis, especially if you're not from here, it's not a place that you necessarily want to be in. So you bolt to Chicago or something like that. And we lose some great people because of that. So I want people in St. Louis to feel a home and some youthful energy, and I think the soccer team would provide that. Yeah, and, and I give, you know, somebody responded to my article and said something like, well, I'll, you know, believe it when I see it. And, and my thought was, why wouldn't you just say to the, to that, to the Kavanaugh's or to the Taylor's, hey, thank you for at least trying. You know, thanks for attempting. I, I, I applaud them for at least attempting to try to make this a better place. And as I mentioned in this piece, too, I would applaud them if this was a non-sports entity for trying to do something in St. Louis because, as Mo, and, and you asked the question, too, you know, it's a different place than it was 15, 20 years ago because some of the things that have happened. So it is a great place to live. I mean, I, I, I raised my family here. I was born and raised here, as I mentioned. My mom still lives in South St. Louis in the same home I was born and raised in. Um, it, it is a great place, and, and, you know, when I travel and I visit with the, the, the different people that I see in the different cities, you know, they, they, they don't know the story of the backstory of, of, of Stan Kroenke. Right. They, they just think a right was wronged or a wronged was yeah, righted they, they when they moved think, back well, to L.A. I mean, the, the Rams just weren't supported, and, and you say, my God, you, you don't get it. No, 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 no. This is what really happened, and then I tell them the story, and they are just floored. Yeah. And then I say, by the way, did you see the PGA? And yeah. they said, oh, man, those crowds. I said, well, that's right. I said, the PGA was flooded with people. The tickets sold out immediately for practice rounds. That's St. Louis as a sports town. Oh, by the way, there's 3.4 million people every year going to the ballpark. By the way, the Blues sell out all the time. There's fans in there all the time. Um, it's a great, great sports market. Um, and I was talking to somebody of significance, and I'm not going to mention their name. And they said to me, it was, it was, it, and it's a very prominent person in this town with big, big money. And he said to me, he said, and not big enough money. He said, boy, if I owned a sports town, he said, I would move to a middle of America town, and I would put my franchise right there. And I said, why would you do that? He said, middle of America people love sports. He said they don't go to the ocean, they don't go to the, to, to, to the mountains, they don't go to the beach. He said, but boy, they love their beer and they love going to a game. Yeah. I said, you're damn right they do. I said, <laughs> I said that's, what, that's what people like. And, and um, he said, and they support their teams. He said, you know, middle of America people are just good people. And yeah. I said, that, that really is true. Uh, Billy, were you uh, going to ask a question? Uh, yes, sir. Go ahead. I, I had a cardinal question. Is that off the table now? Oh, no. We're, no we're, it's, a, it's a free-for-all. <laughs> all right. Um, I don't know if Derek's still back there. He may chime in, too. I, 
Mo likes the trade market, it seems like, a lot more than free agent. Is there Are there a couple names we need to be aware of, like trade-wise, that the Cardinals could be going after? I think Goldschmidt's going to be the play. That's what I think. Would you guys like Goldschmidt? Yeah. Enthusiasm there. I just feel like I feel like this is almost like the early 2000s kind of Cardinal setup. The one thing that he doesn't match up is the left-handed element. But he, Mazalak did say you get a core bat, right or left, who cares? Um, but that's what I feel like matches up for what the Diamondbacks look to be doing this offseason, for what the Cardinals have, that surplus of young pitching. And I don't know about you guys. I didn't get the sense that, that Bryce Harper, not that he would show his cards anyway, is something that the Cardinals are necessarily focused on. Uh, this offseason. Now, who knows? Um, but I feel like Goldschmidt. If I had to guess, I feel like Goldschmidt is is the direction they would go. Uh, I'm going to reserve judgment, even though you guys have paid good money to be here and I'm supposed to give you answers. Um, I'd reserve judgment on that. I, I think, you know, the, the groundwork has been laid, as he mentioned, at, at these meetings. The things usually heat up and change rapidly at, at the winter meetings. Um, and so they go in with A, B, C, D, and F, and uh, E and F, and I went to Biani and I forgot the E. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but those things change quickly, and, and uh, it's, it is fascinating. When you go to the winter meetings, they, they, they have all these rooms, right? And he's, Mo is in one room, and his lieutenants are here, and that guy's there, and that guy's there, and they're talking to this agent and talking to that team, and this guy's talking here, and... I mean, it's crazy, and things happen very quickly, and whoever texted me, stop Yeah, it. how about that? Well, I can't figure out. I got a new phone. I can't figure <laughs> out how to stop to turn the thing down. Anyway, technically not quite sound yet. Um, I sound like, by the way, Al Roboski, we're in the middle of a game, and that thing goes off, and I finally have to say it, Al, turn the thing off, okay? And he's like, whose phone is that? I, it's yours. Um, so um, anyway, but I... It is fascinating in the winter meetings, though, how that stuff works. Um, but I, I do think they'll make a splash, and I, and I think you know Mo kind of tipped his his hand a little bit in the fact that he knows that they've got to get a middle of the order type bat. And and the the gentleman that came up and talked about the window closing a bit, it, it's interesting. You know, Wainwright will be in his last year. Molina has two years. Uh, Carpenter Henry, uh, enters the final year of his contract with an option. Ozuna, uh, the final year of his deal. Michaelis, the final year of his deal. No one talks about that. Yeah. He's the best pitcher for the Cardinals last year. So they, they've got a lot of guys coming up, um, and, and they've got to be, you know, there's a sense of urgency not only to get past 88 wins, but to win with the group that they have. See, I think they have a comfort level on spending, which I know is actually what I feel like a, a, an unpopular opinion. I just don't think they're comfortable with the number of years that this particular deal would require. And I'm speaking, of course, of Bryce Harper. So I could be off the mark on, on that. Um, and I want to see it happen because I want to see the fan base re-energized. And, and seeing Bryce Harper playing right field would be incredible. But I just feel everything that he is indicating, and I also had Bill DeWitt on, on my podcast, and I just get the sense that that's not the organization's comfort level is is the sustainable competitiveness that they like to proclaim that they're worried about those last five or six years of that deal well that, that's what i mentioned earlier i i think that's the 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 major part of this is that you get to like i said when a guy gets to being 34 35 36 so that's essentially the end of that deal with harper or any player that you would give a 10-year deal with that's 26 um that's the issue with 
with those 10-year deals. Um, I had somebody tweet at me, is anybody untouchable? The only They'll all say no one's untouchable. Molina's untouchable, and Wainwright's untouchable. I mean, you know, Wainwright will retire at Cardinal, and Molina will retire at some point. God knows when. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I find him, um, I find, I said this before, I, I've seen every game, essentially, that both have played in. Uh, I find Molina to be just incredible. Um, and I know fans, you know, you probably have seen the majority of them, but when you watch him daily and see every pitch that essentially he's caught or uh, hit in, it's incredible when you watch that guy and you truly are watching greatness. And I, I think about it, the last couple of years I've thought about it, I, knock on wood, I'll be doing this in 10 years, and, well, who knows, he might be still catching. But if he isn't, there's going to be some guy behind there, and I'm going to see a pass ball, or I'll see a ball that's not blocked, and I'll think, man, we took that for granted for 20 years, watching that guy, and he did that. You know, He threw that guy out, or he blocked the plate, or he made a play that you just said, we just took it for granted. Because when you watch somebody else play, it, it stands out. And we've had greatness behind home plate. And I, I think the same thing when I watch Pujols. You know, we had 10, 11 years of watching Albert Pujols. It's the greatest right-handed hitter I've ever seen. I mean, it was unbelievable some of the things that he did. So we've been very, very fortunate. And it was a great question. You know, who's that next face that's coming? If Yachty does indeed retire in two years, who's that next guy? Uh, do you have a question, sir? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Final question of the evening is arrived. Um, <clears throat> talking about Middle America being such great sports fans, and I know it's a joke that will the NBA work in St. Louis, that whole deal. Um, but the way I view it as a Billiken season ticket holder, hashtag blessed, I guess. Uh, uh, between you and Scotty on TV – uh, Rammer and Earl on the radio, we couldn't have a better connection to this team if they really take off. Like, I view them as being that that sport that could really fill the void in the winter instead of talking about an NBA team. Like, do you ever foresee the Billikens getting big under Ford or whoever comes after or whatever goes on? To we them? saw it. You Spoon know? had it rolling. Oh, my God. What was going on at the arena? I think they had the highest attendance in college basketball. Now, part of it was the facility, but still the enthusiasm for that team. For That was like two or three years. Yeah, I do. Okay. I do, for sure. Um, I think part of it, and it goes back to what we were talking about before, is homegrown kids. Um, you know, when, when Spoon had it rolling, he had Scotty Highmark. He had the Venice Menace, Irwin Claggett. Yep. Uh, Donnie Dobbs was a fun player to watch. Um, uh, who was the kid that wound up transferring to Mizzou and his dad became an assistant coach? Um, Winfield. Julian Winfield was here. H. H. Waldman came from UNLV. Um, it, that was a fun, fun oh, man, team that was to watch. great to watch. And those kids got their butts kicked initially when uh, Rich had them, I guess, their freshman year, and then Spoon came in and Spoonball took over. And, and Spoon was such a fun, likable guy. And, I got to, to be really tight with Spoon, uh, and I, I miss him dearly. And I'm, um, He was awesome. Spoon and I uh, wound up doing Valley games together and slew games together. So when he was doing slew basketball as a head coach, I was doing the Billikens, and then he retired, and he would, uh, after the, the season, he'd come down to spring training. He was the biggest Cardinal fan, and this ties into Jack Buck, too. Jack Buck and Spoon became very close, of all things. 
uh, this, the Charlie Spoon Hour show on KMOX. Those two, <laughs> of all things, Jack Buck and Spoon became very, very close. Um, and then Spoon would come down to spring training. And, um, and then when Spoon retired, this goes on. This is a weird deal. But Spoon was like the nicest guy. And he had, like... <laughs> Huggins was his best friend. Yeah, that's it right. Was like, it was this weird combination of dudes that we would call on the way home from Missouri Valley games. I mean, guys that you would think, like, really? That's your buddy? <laughs> oh, Huggy Bear, he's the best, and this guy's the best, and I got to call this guy. And he would call all these guys on the way home, and we always had to eat at Steak and Shake. He loved Steak and Shake. It's a good call. So we always went to Steak and Shake. But uh, I miss Spoon dearly. He was awesome. And I think that was one of the... the the best hires that Slew made because oh, of his yeah. personality. He opened up the, the restaurant down the Central West End, and he, he um, always had the, the media Wednesdays, so the media would be there. So the program was always out front and center. Media always loves a free meal. <laughs> and, um, and so they would cover the team. And then the team was local kids. And if you get local kids and you win, the fans come out. And you're right, the facility was big, but they played a, a fun brand of basketball. Yeah. So... If Travis can get it going this year, which I think he will, it's going to take a little time. Um, I, I see them, and I'd love to see them play Mizzou. I, I yeah. think that's important. I think the two schools need to play each other. Somehow they got to get on the same page. But if that happens, um, you're going to see the program, I think. And it's going to happen, by the way, in December when basketball season gets going. Butler comes here. That will be a big crowd. You're going to see some of the non-conference teams come through here. Uh, and they get into conference play, you'll see bigger crowds. And if he wins some of those games, you're going to see, I think, the, the fact that they'll be more on the, the front page of the post. You'll see him being talked about on, on radio and on TV, and he'll get it going. Yeah. And, and he's got another good recruiting class coming, and that does fill some of the void in the winter, which would be fun. Yeah, we do need that void, but we will have it here with our show throughout. We're looking forward to doing this every week. It's the Hot Stove Show. Thank you to Mattress Direct, Design Air Heating and Cooling, and Triad Bank for being our sponsors of our new show on Facebook Live and Periscope. And for tonight, Bud Select, the sponsor of our Q&A. We thank John Mazalock for being here, Three Little Birds for Life for partnering, and everybody here tonight at the Improv Shop for coming out. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed taking your questions. We look forward to doing it again. Thank you. Thank you.